Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Let's get right into that very first verse. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Wow, what a way to start it off. Maybe this is a verse that you've heard before. I love how the message translates it. It takes a little bit of a different spin. That's why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. What a verse. What a way to start it off. But can I be honest for a second? When I first got these verses and, and I was kind of thinking through them, I realized this one's going to be a hard one to preach. It made me a little nervous, a little anxious, because yes, this passage is full of hope. 18 all the way down to 25, full of hope, full of this expectation that we have for glory. It's full of good things, full of joy, really. But oftentimes when we talk about passages revolving around hope and, and suffering and glory, I'm always so mindful of the person that's really in the thick of it, that's really suffering, that's in the valley, that feels alone. I'm so mindful of them because oftentimes Christians, if you're honest and and myself included, we've used verses like this one to try and comfort them. We've used verses like this to tell them, you know what, yeah, you're going through hard times, but heaven's coming. Like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We've done such a disservice to them by using verses like this and other verses. Or maybe you've quoted Mike Ditka, former um, head football coach, um, when he thought that he was quoting scripture and said, this too shall pass. Have you ever said that one? I know I have. When maybe a friend or a family member has come, come to me um, in a point of, of suffering or in loss, maybe they've gone through a breakup, I've said things like, oh, I understand, but don't worry because it's all going to be good. At the end of the day, it's all going to be good, knowing very well that I don't actually know what God has in store for them. I don't know what God has planned for them. I don't know if it's actually going to get better for them anytime soon. Because yes, that's true. Yes, heaven is coming. And yes, we get to, as, as Christians, we get to be in full glory. But we've done such a disservice to them where we are almost dismissive of, dismissive of their pain, dismissive of the things that they're going through when, when quoting scripture like this and using it out of context, out of the way that we were supposed to do. And so for me, I know one of the hard things for me and one of the most difficult things for me to do is to comfort someone going through a hard time. Like, what do you say to someone who just lost a family member to cancer? Or maybe they just got news back from the doctor that is less than optimistic. I know a lot of the times when those times happen, I freeze up and I just want them to be pushed towards, well, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. And we use scripture like this out of context in an inappropriate way to try and comfort someone when these verses are never meant to comfort a person. Instead, what these verses are and the goal of what Paul is trying to say in 18 to 25 is that he's trying to remind us all of creation and, and remind all of us where we stand in this grand narrative. Because remember, scripture is not about us. Like when we read our Bibles, a lot of times we want to make it directly about us. We want to make it about how can we apply this to us. And as 
much as that is true and it is one of the tools the Bible has for us is to how is, is wisdom for us, we have to remind ourselves that scripture is not about us. John Mark Comer, one of my favorite authors to read during the pandemic, he said this, scripture is first and foremost a story and it's a story about God. We want to make it a story about us, about how to get ahead in life or have great sex or up our portfolio or just be happy. And, all, and, and there are all sorts of success principles in the Bible, but honestly, that's just not what the story is about. If you strip the Bible down to the core, it's a story about God and about how we as people relate to God. And so again, we want to make the Bible about ourselves. We want to make it all about us and what the scripture might be saying directly to us, but that's not what it's all about. And so with that in mind, when we look at life as, as a grand narrative, we understand that we actually get to place ourselves in this greater story about God and life and creation. And we move from asking this question of why do I suffer to a question of why do we suffer? We move to just taking ourselves out of it and looking at everything around us. We look at people around us. And as Paul's gonna talk about creation as a whole, why do we suffer? Why is there suffering? And I wanna make this, this point clear because we so easily make it about our own personal problems that we go through, but we have to remind ourselves and what Paul wants to remind us of is that we are all a part of a bigger thing going on. And that maybe the reason that I suffer is because we are all subject to suffering. Like we've talked about in the past, how sin has entered into the world and, and with that comes pain and chaos. And that's maybe that's why we suffer. Paul actually talks about it here, verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Big breath. I know that was a lot. There's a lot. It is very deep theologically. And, and I was talking to, to someone about this. And a lot of times the main point can get a little bit muddled up and, and confusing. But as I was reading this scripture, I know one of the major points that Paul wants to bring up. And one of the major themes here is that we live in tension. Paul wants us to know and get this point across that we live in tension. And Paul has been winding us up to explain this tension that we all feel. See, a lot of what Paul has been talking about is, is, is full of joy, right? Verses before this, chapters before this, it's full of joy and hope and glory and how we're no longer slaves to sin. These great verses and how we now have assurance in our relationship with God. But if we're real and look at how we feel deep inside, we know that it's not always 100%, that we're not always riding the highs of life. That we know that's not always sunshine and rainbows. 
even though we know that we're justified by faith, that we are saved, that we are children and we are heirs of God, like we know these things, but when we look at ourselves, when we look at life, we know it's not 100%. I don't have to tell you that it's not always good. Because Paul wants us to realize that there is a tension that we all feel, that we know on some level that the suffering of the present time is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And longtime followers of Christ, like we know this, we know that as followers of Christ, that he has gone ahead and prepared a room for us as it talks about in John 14. Or we read verses in Revelation 21, where it says that God will wipe away every tear and death shall be no more. Like we know these things. We know the end of the story. We've talked about this narrative. I've, I just mentioned how we're all a part of this narrative. And one of the great things about scripture, about the Christian life, is that we actually know the end of the story. Like I talked about earlier, we're in this grand narrative. We're all a part of this greater story from the beginning of time. But we have to address the elephant in the room. In that, although this is all true, we live in this already, but not yet. One of the great things about being a Christian is we actually know the end of the story. When we read scripture, we know how this whole shindig is going to end. But we still have to live in this tension. We still have to live in this suffering. And that's why I love Paul, because he knows that we're feeling this tension. He knows that we know that we're saved, that we're justified by faith, but yet we still have to live in this world and we're still subject to pain, to sorrow, to loss. And he knows that we feel this tension and he wants to explain why. Verse 20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Remember how I wanted to pull the focus off of ourselves? Remember how I was trying to say that these verses are not just about our personal problems? Well, Paul, Paul takes it a step further and he's not even just saying it's about humans. It's not even just about mankind. It's about all of creation. All of creation is subjected to this pain. This whole world, the ground that you're stepping on right now, the pets in your home, the animals, the birds, the trees, the mountains, the ocean, the sky, we've all been subjected to pain. We all feel this tension. We all experience it all the time. Think about nature. Nature is beautiful. It's one of the first things. Anytime someone says, I, I, don't, feel, I don't feel connected to God. Anytime someone says, you know, my relationship with God, it just feels off. I don't feel his presence. One of the first things I tell them is to go spend time in nature, to go walk about and to find trees, to go find some beautiful landscape and just sit and think about it and bask in its glory. Nature is a beautiful thing, but we also know that natural disasters are common, that there are tsunamis, there are volcanoes, there are wildfires all around us. Some of those are because of human uh, misconduct and, and us treating the earth poorly, but we just know that the world is broken on its own. There's a tension where it's beautiful, but it's also dangerous. Or, or relationships, like with our loved one, with spouses, family members, friends. Like we love them and we really have a great time and there's no one we would rather spend our time with, but it doesn't take long for them to drive you bananas. And so there's a tension of you really love them, but they can drive you crazy. 
right? There is that natural tension in, in nature, in our relationships. And the world is also subject to that, where we know that the world is good, but it's not great. It's not perfect. Because again, when we go back to this grand narrative, this huge story that we're a part of, that we get to be a part of, and we look at the beginning when sin entered into the world, God subjected us to that suffering. See, God gave us over to the desires of our heart. Sin became the ruler and we became slaves to sin. We've talked about this in past sermons. But what I love about this and what this verse reminds us is that we were subjected to it, but we were subjected to, subjected to it in hope. Remember, we're a, a part of this grand narrative. And from the beginning, even when things looked bad and, and things took a turn for the worse, where we were no longer in perfect union with God and we are now slaves to sin, it was still in hope. It was still in hope because God knew how this was going to end. God knows that this was not it. A lot of times we think that it's God giving us over. It was him abandoning us. It was never him abandoning us. That's the enemy trying to confuse you and say that this is God not loving you. And, and why would he make us go into this pain? Why would he let us have to experience any of this pain and suffering? Because that's not God. God never subjected us alone. He, he subjected us in hope, knowing where this was all going to go. Because this period of suffering that we go through, it, it was never the end game. For, for the non-Christian, for the person who does not believe in God, it is. Like, this is it. And that's what, when you believe that and when you think that the, this world is all we have, then it leads to you just grasping at anything, trying to make the best of whatever, however long you're on this planet, 50, 60, 90 years, you're just trying to get a grasp of as long, get, get a grasp of everything that you can here because this is the end game. This is as good as it gets for you. But for the Christian, for the follower of Christ, the person who has been justified by faith, the Christian, we know that this isn't it. We know that there's more to it. We know that there is glory in heaven, that we get to be in perfect union with God. But again, with this knowledge, with this foreknowledge of what's coming, there comes a sense of this incompleteness and frustration that we have with life. We know that there's glory awaiting us. We know that we are heirs to the kingdom, that we are children of God. We know how good it gets, but we have to remind ourselves of a bigger story and that we are at this part in the story. In the narrative of, of God and God's creation, that we are now in this position of suffering, where we're not incomplete, where we are already there, but we're not there yet. Paul walks us through the rest of it. He says this, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What an analogy, the pains of childbirth. Paul paints this picture so perfectly because that's, that is exactly where we are at. If it isn't obvious, I uh, have never given birth and I never will give birth. Um, I will never have to experience the pain of giving birth 
to a child. So I can't exactly relate to this. But for you moms, you know the joy of seeing your beautiful little baby for the first time. To see their precious little face and, and the excitement that you feel. You know how amazing it is and you know the joy and the love that you feel isn't even comparable to the suffering that you had to go through. And, and the labor of pains, although excruciating and, and not something that you would ever want to go through again, it's not even comparable to the love that you have for your child. See, that is our position. We are experiencing the labor pains of the world on the path to being reborn. That is our position. We're, we're groaning. We're groaning and we're groaning with all of creation in, in this almost frustration because we have an idea of what amazing glory is to come and we even get a glimpse of it here, right? When we, again, when we look at nature, when we look at this world and the amazing things that we are able to experience, it's a glimpse of that glory. It's a glimpse of what is to come. And in the same way that a mother can feel their little baby moving inside them, we get to see the beauty of God's kingdom here on earth, but it's incomplete. And that's what's frustrating is that it's incomplete. We still have to go through this journey of life where we get to experience the good things, right? We get to experience joy and happiness in glimpses, maybe for long periods of time, but it's still incomplete. And that can be frustrating. It can be frustrating because we still have to walk this earth and we still have to feel the sting of life. And again, that goes back to this tension that we're experiencing. This tension of, of we know what's out there and we get to have tastes of it, but we still have to go through suffering. And that's our position right now. We're in that labor pain, as Paul talks about. And so what do we do with this tensioning we experience? What do we do? Well, oftentimes, and, and even back in, in chapter 5, Paul wants to encourage us to look at suffering differently than the world does. He does it earlier in, in chapter 5, when he talks about a very similar theme of hope and suffering, but he wants us to look at, at suffering in a different way, different than how the world would look at suffering. Suffering. He does it from the get-go in saying that it isn't even comparable, in verse 18, it isn't even comparable to the glory. But Douglas Moo, a biblical scholar, we've, used, we've referenced him a bunch of times in uh, this, this Roman series, he talks about in his commentary how Paul isn't so interested in the relationship suffering has to glory but how it's actually more about the sequence of how this all works. Doug Moo says this, he assumes the fact of suffering as a dark backdrop against which the glorious future promised to the Christian shines with bright intensity. And so yes, suffering will happen, but you better believe it. But the future that we will experience shines through like a full moon lights up the night sky. So again, it's not so much about is suffering and glory comparable because they're really not it's not even close it's more about sequence that suffering will happen but what's next what's to come is this glory this union with god this full complete joy that we get to experience with god but right now the state that we're in is almost like this state of anxiousness i don't have to tell you the stats I'm sure you could look it up on, on, on Google and, and how much more anxious our world has become. And then you throw a pandemic in there. We look around and, and the world does not look 
great. The world does not look like it's getting better. See, for every great thing that we hear about, every good thing that we hear about in the news, there are about 10 to 50, 100 other things that we, we hear about that just break our hearts, that break our hearts. And we just, it reminds us just how fragile this world is. And when the non-Christian is looking around at the world that is decaying, or as Paul says, is in the pain of childbirth, again, they're just trying to hold on to anything because they're in a state of fear. Like that's where we were at. When we were slaves to sin, we were actually a slave to fear as well, where we just look at the world going down and we're just trying to grasp and hold on to anything, knowing that there's not much hope left. And so where the world is in a state of anxiousness, the Christian, the Christian moves from anxiousness to anticipation. When we look at the world, we're no longer anxious about it. We're no longer anxious about, oh man, what am I going to do? How am I going to make this life as good as I can? But we look at it and we become, in, we move to a position of anticipation. Or as, as it says here, we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We wait eagerly. We're in a position where we're almost at the edge of our seats, knowing that there's glory, that this posture we had of fear is no more, but how we have an eager anticipation because we know how the story ends. Again, we know how it's all going to end up because this is now our posture. We are no longer anxious. We're no longer fearful of the world. We're no longer trying to make ourselves happy in this life, but we know we sit with anticipation, knowing of the glory that is to come, of the redemption that is to come. We groan with creation, but our groans look different. They aren't rooted in trying to make the best of this world, but knowing that it gets so much better, that the limitations that we have, the frustrations we have will be gone with the redemption of our bodies. And so we know we'll suffer, but the really good thing and what Paul is going to get at is that we suffer, but we suffer in hope. We suffer in hope. And there's that word hope. And we've talked about it before. We've talked about hope and what it is, but we suffer, but we don't suffer alone. We suffer in hope. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. See, we don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know exactly what glory and heaven is going to be like exactly. We don't know when or where or how glory will play out. And that's part of the mystery of God. And Paul reminds us it's not important for us to know those things. What is important, though, is that we have hope. Is that we have hope. And although we suffer, we suffer in hope. And I'm often reminded of verses like this, another Paul uh, passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 17, 11. He says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Like how good is that? How much do we need to be reminded of that yes, yes, it's tough. Yes, our outer self is wasting away. Maybe your own body is failing you. But the eternal weight of glory is beyond all comparison. And so what do we do? What do we do? We've understood why we're in this tension. We understand why we are feeling this this tension, this frustration, this incompleteness with our life. We understand why we're there. But what do we do with that? Like, what do we do? Well, I'll tell you one thing. We're not to be sitting, sitting idly by, just twiddling our thumbs, waiting to go to heaven. Because that's actually bad theology. We're actually... Um, suppose, we're actually a part of bringing heaven down to earth. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Instead, heaven will one day invade earth, transforming all of us, creation, this world, mankind, to be in complete union with God, where all this pain, all this suffering will be gone. But right now, in this moment, we're called to be the light of the world. That is our calling. We don't just sit passively, just waiting, waiting, waiting for however long but that we get to go be a part of the restoration of bringing heaven down to earth. And you want to know, you want to know my favorite part. You want to know why I'm like overly excited is because yes, transformation is coming. We won't have to deal with the limitations and the frustrations of this world. But what I'm grateful for is that yes, we groan, but we groan with believers. We groan with believers. We do this together. One of our values at Bayview is actually that we are better together. And that extends to better together when we're in the depths of our suffering. That we're better together when we're in the valleys. Yes, we're better together in, in the great times when we're on mission and we're doing all these things for God. But we're better, also better together when we're in the depths of our pain, when we feel like the world is turning against us. And so I'll be honest, I don't always have the best answers for people when they're in the midst of their suffering. I'm not the best counselor for when things are going wrong. But what I do know is that we were never meant to do it alone. And if that's you and, and you're in the midst of that suffering and maybe you've lost your job, maybe your kids are far from God, maybe your relationships are being torn apart, the church is here for you. Like that's what the true essence of the church, and I know it hasn't always been like that, and I know that's not how it may have been, maybe that hasn't been your experience, but that is what the church is here for. If you're in a life group, Share your struggle with your group. That's what they're there for. We call it a family of sent servants, but it's a family first. 
And if you're not in a life group, you can sign up for one. Better yet, sign up to start a life group. See, because there are countless stories of how people in our life group have been able to find comfort and support in the midst of, of some of their most challenging times. Um, one, of the, one of the ladies in our congregation, she's uh, serving in our church. She was actually um, on our podcast here at Bayview. And if you didn't know we had a podcast, we do. Go to our website, check it out. Uh, but she shared about her experience with Life Group. And she, she shared about how one of the hardest things, one of the most difficult times in her life is when her father passed away. And maybe for some of you guys, you know that hits right close to home. Maybe someone for you, a loved one has passed away. And for her, she was in the midst of that. She was so close to her father and she was in a lot of pain. It was a lot of sorrow as you would expect and losing someone close to you. But the beautiful thing is that her life group was able to come around her, come alongside her and comfort her. In this podcast, she talks about how they were there reading a book called Knowing God by His Name and how they were able to come around alongside her and remind her of who God is. That she's not defined by her deficit or her lacking or what her father's prognosis was. But she was reminded of who God is and, and what he says about her. And so join, join a life group. Let me leave you with this last point. In these last two verses alone, the word hope is mentioned five times. Let me show you. One, two, three, four, and five. In just two verses, this word hope is mentioned five times. I've said it in a sermon before, and I want to remind us of this today, that the church's mission is not to distance ourselves from the pain of the world. It's not meant to, we're not meant to stand off on the sidelines that, and, and see and observe the pain that the world is experiencing. We aren't meant to sit idly by even judging people for the sin in their lives. I think one of the most frustrating things I see from Christians is we, print, we pretend to sit in our ivory towers and, and judge and point fingers at, at the sin and blame people for the pain that they're experiencing because of their sin. And, and that might partially be true, but the real mission of the church is it's to enter into the midst of that pain, into the midst of that pain and point the world to hope. That through prayer, through serving, through sacrificing, that we're meant, meant to enter into the pain, the pain that we all experience truly, and point the world to a place of hope, showing them that this is not, not, this is not everything, that they can go from a position of anxiety, from anxiousness, into a posture of anticipation where we actually get to look forward to something. Because to be honest, the world doesn't need more people telling them how broken the world is. Like we get it, we live, we all live in that same tension. But what our friends and our family, our neighbors, our coworkers need is someone to point them to hope, to glory. To show them that they can move from a place of anxiety and fear and pain and worry and stress to a place where they can actually move into anticipation, where they can eagerly await glory. Where they can truly say that 
this is not it because God has so much more in store for us. We can move from a place of anxiety into anticipation, that we have something better to look forward to, that we can obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Amen. Let's pray. God, we come before you knowing these things are true, that you are good, that you've already gone before us, that you've prepared a room for us in heaven. But God, we also know this tension that we're feeling, God. And so we pray, God, that you would remind us that these moments of suffering, that these moments of affliction that we experience, God, that they aren't even comparable to the glory that you have for us. God, would you remind us that we aren't in a position of fear, of anxiety, that we are now in a position of anticipation, that we can now look to you and that we know the end of the story, that we can look at the end of the book and know that you win, that you defeat evil, that you have already defeated evil and you're defeating evil in our lives right now. So God, would you remind us of this? God, I pray for the person who is suffering right now, who's in turmoil, who is feeling alone, feels like the world is against them, God. God, would you give them the courage and the boldness, because that's what it takes, courage and boldness, to reach out. To reach out to, to us, to the church, to friends, family, whoever, for them to be supported and know that we suffer, but we suffer in hope and we suffer together that we can link arms, remind ourselves, remind each other of who you are, God, and what you've called us, that we are children of God, that we are heirs of, of your kingdom. So God, we thank you for this reminder. We thank you for the hope and glory that we have. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.